Hey, welcome back to Dear Baseball Gods. This week we're going to kind of do a a Father's Day episode and, and talk about the role that dads, and not just dads, but moms and the rest of the family play in the the dynamic of a young athlete and how they develop the uh, the passion or, to be honest, kind of a, a hatred for their sport over time. So I'll share a little bit about myself. When, when I was young, I started playing baseball at eight years old, which for some kids is a little bit late. I've heard the stories of, you know, kids playing organized ball kind of at five or six and doing t-ball. I never did t-ball. I started at, I guess it was seven, eight was the age group for my uh, Hartford County Baseball League. And right from the get-go, I guess I was, I was pretty decent um, from what I had heard and that some of my coaches, you know, felt that I was ready for travel ball after about a year or two. So I think around 9, 10, or maybe it was 11, 12, I, I moved into travel baseball. And then, of course, at that age, you know, you had to play travel and rec. That was sort of the way my uh, organization worked. And then a couple years later, I joined uh, the Baltimore Metro League, which if you grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, that was the, the, the premier baseball league where from uh, 13, 14 and up, you competed against teams all over Maryland, so we were driving farther than I ever had, and it was a lot more rigorous of a schedule than than just travel baseball. So that was kind of where the best talent in the Baltimore metro area uh, resided, and you know I kind of considered myself lucky to find a team in that. I kind of played for like a a middle tier team on that in that league called the Yankee Rebels, and from there I kind of. Uh, came into my own and became, I think, a solid player. And, uh, you know, over time, I grew up into, you know, some kind of decent ball player. But, you know, with all this, it comes back to, and obviously, if you look on social media this time of year, you know, with all these holidays come up, you see everyone with their dad, you know, Mother's Day just passed a couple weeks ago, and, you know, everyone's up with their mom and showing them in their their baseball hat and their little bat. And uh, just, talking about how important, you know, those figures were in their life. And obviously my mom and dad were, were huge in my own uh, upbringing and, you know, helped foster a love of the game in me. And as I've kind of meandered my way through baseball all these years, I've seen a lot of different dynamics between players and their parents. And now as a coach, I still see even more firsthand as, you know, I travel with teams to tournaments and my uh, Warbird Senators 15U team was in Cincinnati this past weekend and they did an awesome job, and they, across the board, have an awesome set of parents that support that team. But that's uh, often the exception, not the rule, unfortunately, and I've seen my, my share of the, the other way as well. So the big thing that if there's parents listening that I'd want to convey to them is that you need to just be a sort of passive influence on your kids as far as sports go and allow them to develop their own um, love of the game or allow them to drop out based on what they really want. So the biggest thing that I see that unfortunately just kind of irks me is that parents push too hard and they get too intense and it almost seems like they want success for the kid more than the kid does. Now it's understandably difficult to sit idly by why, while a, you know, a young man or um, young woman doesn't put as much effort into their sport as perhaps their parents think they should. But at the same time, all that sort of has to evolve naturally. So in my own progression, I was a kid who loved my sport. I always loved baseball. And I practiced, you know, my best friends and I, we would go out in the backyard and we would play baseball from when school let out until, you know, it was too dark. You know, we would just go and throw tennis balls at each other and 
play two man two man baseball or play rundown or do whatever it was and you know we just played and played and played and that's something that I don't think is done as much now but at the same time that was that was getting better at baseball for me you know I I learned I guess to throw strikes in my backyard with a with a tennis ball as my buddy tried to pump him over the pine trees but you know at the end of the day no one was forcing me to do that it was just play which I think at the the base level is what sports are supposed to be right and I remember having the conversation with lots of different people about how over time you continue to love the game it just it just evolves and I think it's probably similar to way that a marriage is and I'm not married but I've kind of heard the the stories about how it just it's different you know as you get older it isn't this this like silly giggly kind of love it's this kind of uh you know I know what I have to do to maintain it and it fulfills me um and I'm still incredibly passionate about it but the giggly part kind of you know goes away so when you're a kid you know you go out and play stickball you play tennis ball baseball you, you play with the neighborhood kids and you do all that fun stuff and you imagine you're a major leaguer and you imitate, you know, different stances and there's a lot of make believe and pretend. And it's, again, it's, it's a, it's a kid's game, you know, at the base level, but as you get older, it stops being that way. And there's, there starts to become a point where you have to put legitimate work into it. And, you know, and I have this conversation with a lot of young athletes that showing that you love the sport as you age is about putting time into it. It's about putting, effort and repetitions into it and it's about doing the boring things over and over and over that allow you to have more fun on the field so I remember talking with one of my buddies that I grew up with who got drafted by the uh, I think the Mariners he went to University of Delaware he was a tall left-handed pitcher and he threw really hard and he got drafted and played a couple years with the Mariners and then after I think two seasons he hung it up and I asked him like why because I was still finishing college and he said, well, man, I just like, I just lost passion for it. Like, I don't, I don't want to go through six hours of pregame anymore. I don't want to go through all this BP every day. I don't want to go through PFPs and spring training sucks. And I don't, I just like don't want to do all that other stuff. Like, I still love the game, but there's so much extra now that I hate. And I don't think I'm going to make it to the major leagues. And I'm just, I don't want to do all that other stuff anymore. And I didn't have the perspective on that at the time because I was still chasing and I was still kind of at the bottom of the mountain. But as I got older, I definitely started to understand what he meant. And of course, I was always willing to put in the work, except the very bitter end with just my arm kind of in, in shambles and ruins. I uh, I started to get it. Like I didn't want to put in two hours of rehab to hopefully maybe be ready to pitch without pain or put in two hours of rehab and still have to pitch through pain. You know, those kind of choices kind of pop up over time. But for him, baseball became too far on the work side of the continuum. It wasn't a situation where, you know, he could feel like a kid. It was really more of a situation where he felt kind of like a coal miner, I guess, where he had to do all this awful stuff to get just a little bit of joy out of the game. And I'm sure even after he hung it up, he still missed it. But you know, that's sort of how it evolves over time. You have to put a lot of extra work in and it just becomes, it becomes difficult. So the way that you develop a young player into being okay with putting in that time is allowing him to do it himself. So when I was a kid, if I didn't play well, 
I and I I don't have specific memories of all these. Like I I remember some car rides, but in general, my car rides were all the same. So I don't know that any of them were really all that notable. Where you know I have a specific memory here or there, but and I think that's part of the good thing. So my mom and my dad, when I was driving in home in the car with them after a game, it didn't matter how I played. And I think I have like one kind of like a little flashball memory, but I just remember that I had made a bunch of errors that day. And I just played terrible. And I knew it. And I was obviously, I felt the same way any kid feels when he doesn't play well. I was disappointed and frustrated and quiet and didn't want to talk about it. And um, in the car ride home, I just remember my, my dad saying, you know, you had a great game today. I thought you did this really well and you did this really well. And to me, I just rolled my eyes. I was like, Dad, you know I played terrible. And he was just like, no, I thought you did great. I thought you did this and I thought you did that. And looking back on it, that was such an important part of my development as a player because it never mattered what was going to come next, and it never mattered what I did on the field. So baseball was baseball. I did my best, and when I got done, I just got in the car, and we'd go and get ice cream or just go home or or whatever it was, and there was never any consequence. There was never any negative consequences as far as baseball goes. Now, I had a teammate who was on the complete other side of that, and I met him in pro baseball, and I remember that he told me his dad was a scout, and his whole career, I mean, they would fight about his ability. So this kid ended up being a very high draft pick, like top five rounds, and got a good amount of money and and went and played minor league baseball out of uh, right out of high school. And I met him uh, a couple years later in independent ball where he'd struggled in the minors and eventually got released and he just told me that he had gotten in fist fights with his dad over batting practice at a local high school at a local high school field. So they would go and they'd have BP and you know his dad would help him get better, but he'd be so critical of his swing and so critical of mistakes and that they would just like sometimes literally come to blows out on a high school empty high school baseball field. And the kid was just so wound up and I say kid but he was I mean the guy was so wound up that he just struggled to relax and struggled to enjoy the game, and it, it seemed kind of clear that he felt it was in him to keep playing, like it was part of who he was, and he didn't want to hang it up. But at the same time, the way he operated was just completely different, and it was clear that he had been negatively affected in a in a pretty strong way. So I just at times like that, and I'd heard kind of the gamut of different experiences. I just was always thankful that my dad and and, and my parents just never pushed me to do anything and they never cared whether I I did well. And I only went to start pitching lessons when I was 15. Um, I was just taught everything I knew from my coaches and pitching lessons weren't as much a thing when I was a kid. Uh, Obviously, they're a huge thing now. And I think they're part of the reason that players are number one, as good as they are, because as I work with more young players, I I realize that, especially as I now coach uh, as a team coach, I realize it's it's incredibly hard to help kids change their individual um, mechanical abilities. It's it's tough to change their swing in a little nuance. It's tough for them to change their pitching mechanics when you're coaching the whole team. So for us, it's easiest to impact a kid by having them one on one. And getting to kind of customize their training for them and spend just that quality one-on-one time with them. 
But as a team coach, it's difficult because you have to manage practice. You have to manage, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 kids all at once. And so there's less time. You can't just say, hey, guys, we're going to stop. and I'm going to spend 15 minutes with just little Jimmy here. Um, you just can't really do that. So it's it's difficult. But somehow I, through my own natural ability and through the the quality coaching, um, you know, that I had, I got good enough where I was starting to succeed sort of just on my own. But as, I guess at age 14 or 15, I did do a pitching lesson, and I ended up working at a, a baseball academy. That was my job through high school. And I worked at this place called Grand Slam USA, and I just remember my dad bringing me there to learn a curveball because my dad just didn't know how to teach me that. And I guess maybe, I, I don't know who I played for at the time. I guess I was playing the Baltimore Metro League at the time. But either way, he, he just kind of recognized that this was the time where he probably needed to go see somebody um, to help teach me that because it was a very specialized skill. So I did a couple pitching lessons with a guy named Dwayne Ryan who ended up being a, a pretty prominent figure in my life as well. And I learned that curveball quick. I maybe did a handful of lessons, and, and that was it. And that was really my entire uh, private instruction career, which is crazy considering now. I mean, we have kids that do 40, 40 lessons a year with us here, and it's just a different climate in the baseball instruction um you know, world. But anyway, so when I I did that, I was kind of set in motion again to kind of keep getting better. So I just got just that little bump and the curveball actually became the pitch that got me into college. So when I got seen by the University of Maryland, Baltimore County's head coach, John Jankishe, he, uh, well, that connection happened because Dwayne Ryan, who owned Grand Slam USA, who was my first pitching instructor and who was my boss for a couple of years in high school, when I was a senior, he, uh, I said, Hey, Dwayne, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't, I haven't got many bites and, uh, you know, I want to play college baseball and blah, 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 blah. And he said, well, I think you can play at UMBC. You know, that's where I played and, uh, they're a good school and I think they would take a look at you. So I'm going to call the coach and see if he'll come watch you. So he did. And the coach did. And I pitched, it was, I'd already graduated actually from high school at this point when he finally got to come watch me. And, I threw well, and it was the curveball that Dwayne had taught me that got me into college. Because after that game was over, he had uh, he explained kind of what he saw. So prior to his visit, he had talked to me on the phone. He said, "Yeah, you know, if you're 84 to 86 with uh, good command of your fastball and a good command of a second pitch, that you know maybe we'll have a spot for you." And this was a small Division One school, so you know the the standards are high. And after the game, he says, hey, you know, you were uh, 78, 81. You know, he had 183. And, uh, but I tell you what, your curveball is one of the best I've seen. It's really the best I've seen in 20 years, what he told me. And I think with that curveball, if you get stronger and you get bigger and you start to throw harder and uh, improve the command of your fastball, which is a little bit below average, he said, you know, I think you have a chance to, to help our team. So at that point, he offered me a a, a walk on uh, position, you know, no scholarship, and I took it. So that whole series of events kind of took place by, you know, my parents were were hands off, and you know, they they drove me to all the games, and they stood there and watched, and they clapped, and they cheered, and they supported me, but they never pushed me. And maybe if I had been pushed, they, you know, I would have worked a little harder. But strength strength training wasn't a thing wasn't a thing when I was a kid you know there wasn't a place where you really went and, and lifted weights 
Um, you know, like I said, private lessons weren't really a thing. I only did maybe like two or three in my whole career, uh, learning that curveball. And so the whole climate was just different. So I don't know that kids went out and were, were motivated to like, oh, I'm going to go lift weights. That'll help me throw harder and hit harder. I didn't know anyone who did that. You know, we didn't do that as a school. And so it was just a, a very different climate. But once I got that, uh, that, that offer that, all right, I have a place to play in college, you know, my switch kind of flipped and I got a running workout and a push-ups and sit-ups workout for the, for the summer from, from UMBC. And, and I did it, I did it exactly as written. And I, I worked as hard as I could. And I kind of realized at that point that I wasn't as good as I thought I was. And at that point I started to develop a work ethic on my own. And it was that realization at that point where I said, you know, oh man, I'm going to, I'm going to be done with baseball if I don't get better. You know, I didn't even get a scholarship. You know, he needed me to throw 85 and I'm throwing 80. You know, I'm I'm in trouble. Like, I have to throw 90 or better to be a, a pro pitcher one day and I throw 80. So, and that was, I think, the first time I've been a radar gunned in maybe my whole life. So, it was a wake-up call. And even at that point, it was still on me. And the odd thing about it is, you know, if you kind of read between the numbers just now, I didn't apply to any colleges. I don't know how my parents tolerated that. Um, I was kind of a angst. I don't know if angsty is the word, but I was a difficult teenager to a sense. I, I never got in trouble, so I was never the kid that, that drank and partied and did any of that. So I wasn't that kind of kid, but I, w- I didn't communicate very well with my parents. I was, I think, in general, my relationship with my mom was was difficult and I just kind of wanted to be left alone. I think I, I grew out of that pretty quick, but when I got out of college or out of high school, but in general, I didn't apply to any schools. I just sort of assumed I was going to go play college baseball somewhere. And, uh, I, I don't know. I just kind of like left it alone and figured it would work itself out. So somehow it did. Um, I don't know again how they tolerated that because like I said, coach Jankashay didn't come out to watch me play until, uh, it was actually senior week. So about a week after school had ended. And so there it went and that's how it happened. I moved on to college baseball and, you know, the kind of the, the next phase of the journey started. And, and even then, you know, at that point I was kind of consumed by how could I get better? How can I get better at baseball? And through all that, you know, my family was a little more in the background, obviously, cause I'm at college and I'm full time and I'm, I'm away from home and I'm doing my thing. And so at that point, my relationship with my parents evolved. I think with me having some space, it became better when I saw them. You know, it was, I think when you're a teenager and you're going out through all those hormonal changes and you're not sure what you're going to do next with your life and, and all this, it's, it's just this weird time. And as I got away from my family and got some space and started doing something that I was passionate about you know I was I was pursuing baseball every day I was pursuing you know being a better division one player and and being a a pro one day I think when I started to have that purpose that's when I started to kind of reconnect with my brother and my sister who you know I had I think just a standard kind of relationship with you know like I wasn't real close with my brother and I wasn't real close with my sister but as I left for college we kind of rekindled and I started to develop a much stronger relationship with them so for me, the whole college experience was getting away from my family, which my family is awesome, but it was just for me to be being a kind of an independent person, just going out there and 
trying to, I guess, get some perspective on what was important. And as I got some perspective, I realized that my family was really important. And that's when I started to kind of reach back out and strengthen those, those bonds between, like I said, my brother and my sister and start to appreciate uh, the things that my parents did for me. So throughout all that, I just looked, started looking back. I'm like, man, like why, why have I been able to keep going and love baseball and feel confident and, and excited to put in really tedious work? Well, you know, I just remember some of my peers as I got into high school, you know, playing summer ball at a high level. I just remember some of these guys who played on these high-level teams from 12, 13, 14. A lot of them started to, like, fall off the charts and, and quit and go do other things. Um, you know, some of them was they just quit and chose a different sport or they just quit and stopped sports in general or they just were more consumed with chasing girls and maybe doing drugs than playing baseball. But all the young players that I grew up with, like 12, 13, 14, who played at the higher levels than I did because I didn't play – at a high level until I was probably 13, 14. Um, it just seemed like, you know, they played twice the schedule that I did. They were going way farther than I was. They were doing all these crazy, exciting, um, big things. And I was like, man, like, my team doesn't go to, you know, across the to another state. My team doesn't go to, the, to Florida for tournaments. My team doesn't do all that crazy stuff. I mean, they just seem to be playing a lot of baseball at a, a lot of different places and that their whole summers were consumed by it. And even though... I was driving an hour, you know, hour and a half sometimes to games and, you know, our whole weekends would be taken up by back and forth to doubleheaders and whatnot. We never had those crazy trips and we never played this crazy schedule. I remember always having a lot of downtime in the summer to be a kid and a, uh, I think we played probably 40 to 45 games and that was it. But I, I heard some of my buddies were playing like 80, 90. And as I got older, I just kind of kept my steam and just kind of kept going and always like wanted more whereas a lot of those kids it seemed like they started dropping off and they started wanting less so I think there was something to be said about the volume of baseball I played and and how much I was pushed to play at these high levels because it allowed me to always kind of stay invigorated in the fact that I I always wanted more and I remarked on I think my last podcast that you know a lot of players in independent ball come from small schools with with no following with no one in the stands with kind of subpar fields and facilities and you know they come from lower levels in baseball and the guys that played at you know these big big schools where they have a couple thousand fans of the games and incredible facilities and everything they could ever want when those guys kind of go undrafted they're like well I had all this and it didn't work out I guess I'm just not good enough I guess I'm just going to hang it up but these guys who go to these smaller schools where they feel like they didn't get the big league experience where they were kind of left out and overlooked. Those guys have the passion to, like, I want more than that. Like, I want to play in a, in front of a couple thousand fans, and I want to play in those beautiful ballparks, and I want to travel, and I want to do all those things that they didn't get to do yet. And I felt like I was always in that boat my whole career where I got to play at a high enough level to get better and get challenged and, and succeed, but I always wanted more you know I was never at the highest level I was never traveling all over the country I was never you know this top 25 division one school so I always just I always got enough to be refreshed and enjoy what I was doing but also feel like I needed more and feel like there was more out there for me to to accomplish so as I started to continue and I kind of meandered through college baseball 
I started to get injured and I start. this is where kind of the, the more tumultuous period of my life started to come up. And I had a bunch of different personal issues come up and I had some injuries. My elbow became a recurrent problem. And through all that, there was never this like, well, maybe you should give it up or maybe you should do this and maybe you should do that. And to this day, the only person who ever told me to, that maybe I should give it up was an ex-girlfriend. And the conversation was honestly bizarre. And, and I guess I, looking back, it shouldn't have been shocking to me. But I just remember it was after my first season of pro baseball. I was living in normal with her. And I got the news one night that I was traded. So I was finishing up at my newly formed gym. You know, I just uh, started what was called Dan Blue at Sports Performance. And I was training some young baseball and softball players and in this tiny little postage stamp of a gym. And I uh, I get a call right at the end and I see that it was my manager from 2010, Hal And I figured, okay, well, you know, Hal and I were on great terms and I had a good season last year for him and they were going to have me back. So I figured it was good news. And I picked up the phone and he said, Hey Dan, you know, we were kind of short on, on outfielders and, uh, we ended up trading you. So you're going to be traded to Lake County. And, um, we know this is kind of what you wanted because I did want to go to a higher league. And he said, you know, we had to give up something good, which was you to, to get something good. We got a good center fielder in return. So I understood and I thanked him and I, I went home and had to break this news and, uh, she did not take it well. And, I just remember as she was crying in the in the kitchen that she I said, well, we talked about this like you knew this was a possibility that this might happen and that it was my goal to get, you know, moved up to a higher league. And I did, you know, this is a trade to a a league with older players, you know, was the Frontier League. It was a, a kind of a rookie level league. And through her sobs, her reply was. Yeah, I just I just assumed that it was never going to happen and I just assumed that, you know, you would quit baseball after a couple of years. And we'd had a, a conversation, you know, maybe a couple of weeks prior to that where she said, "You know, maybe you should. Maybe you should just uh, you know, this whole gym thing and, you know, this whole baseball thing, maybe just like give another year and then uh hang it up." And at that point I was kind of taken aback because at that point in my life, like not one person had ever said something like like that to me. And, you know, not one person said, you know, you should really think to the future. You should really, you know, you should this baseball thing, you know, it's 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 uh, it's not going to work out long term. You know, how many people make it to the majors? It's it's so slim and it's so that's a conversation a lot of people have. And they think it's like this sound financial, like stable advice to give to an aspiring athlete that, you know, oh, it's, it's, it's like that old. I don't know. But I've heard that conversation before. It just it had never happened to me where someone wants me to do the prudent thing and, you know, put money into, into my 401k and, and really look to the future. And no, like, I don't know, maybe I just never inspired that conversation with someone else. And maybe I never had the right person in my life to, to brazenly say that to me. But, but at that moment she did. And it was the first time that anyone had ever like encouraged me to stop doing what I love. And I'm thankful that that was the only time that's ever happened. And it was because she just didn't understand me and she didn't get it. But at the same time, I think a lot of people do kind of get that conversation from someone in their life, whether it's their, their mom, their dad, their brother, sister, or aunt or uncle, or that rich, you know, that rich uh, financial advisor that they know who thinks he's giving them sound advice that, oh, they should just, you know, do the safe thing. And I just never wanted to do the same th- the safe thing. I just never wanted that. I didn't care. And I don't plan my life out really that much. And 
I don't have a five-year plan. I just do things the way I want to do them, and I do them the right way, I think. So I think it, at the end of the day, it's going to set me up for something good. But that was the first time that anyone had ever discouraged me from my dreams. And obviously at that point, I knew that her and I weren't right for each other. But at the same time, I also knew how I think privileged I was that my family would never say something like that to me. And I know, you know, other guys, they just, they get burdened by the commitments that they have at home. And to say that they're burdened by it is, is the wrong word probably. But the older you get, the more things you start to collect that require your time and require your money and require your effort to have a wife and, and two kids and all that stuff. It, it pulls you away from the game because, you know, A, you love them and B, you don't want to, to say goodbye to them every year. And it's just, uh, you have to plan for them. You have to plan for the future for other people, you know, beyond yourself. And as I went through my whole baseball career, I only had two girlfriends. And other than that, I had almost nothing pulling me back except for my gym. So the other people in my life, you know, my family and my friends, they had this, this kind of chief role where they could either encourage me to keep going or they could discourage me. And I had never had anyone discourage me. And I had never had anyone give me that talk, you know, what the prudent thing would be to do, because it's clearly not the prudent thing to, to chase pro baseball. Um, even first round picks, only 50% of them ever make it to play one game in the big leagues. But you hope that people understand who you are and what your motivations are. And I think my parents always got that. So as I got into pro baseball and I kept going, you know, my first salary was $600 a month. And to make that work, you have to basically just spend no money. And hopefully your host family, which I did have a great great host family, you hope that they support you and help feed you and help uh, just you take care of the day-to-day expenses so that your two fifty-five and ten cent every other weekly uh, or bi-weekly salary kind of lasts. So obviously, every year I was digging into my savings, and just like any other kid out of college, I didn't have a ton of it. So I was just supported by well, a myself, but but b my family if I needed it. And I never asked for money because I never ran out of money. But you know, it was one of those things where I knew that if I did, I could ask, and I and they would happily help me out and I'd get where I needed to go but it was never like hey you know you need to get a job and I knew I needed to get a job so I worked every off season I started my business which is now you know something that's grown into proportions I could have never imagined but with all this there was always just this quiet understanding that I could do whatever I wanted to do and I could always come back to the nest if I failed that was kind of the the big thing that allowed me to you know just keep going and feel like I didn't have anything to look back that I didn't have anything to to slow me down, you know, that I could do what I needed to do and, and give this baseball thing, a, you know, a legitimate go. So as I got to pro baseball, it got harder because I was almost never close to home, but my parents would fly out to, to a couple games and, you know, they'd call and send me emails. And I started an email chain to, uh, well, an email newsletter to let my family and friends know how I was doing. So every week I would send out this uh, this newsletter that, you know, any of my clients could opt into, my family and friends could opt into, and they'd get this update, you know, about how my season was going and what I was feeling and kind of like a little bit of the behind-the-scenes stuff, throw a couple pictures in there. And that was kind of how I kept everyone, you know, up to date. And so as my pro career got underway and I kind of got comfortable with the routine and I got, you know, acclimated to, to being, a I guess, a legitimate pro player my parents weren't able to come a ton so they'd fly out and watch me start you know twice a year when I was a starter and then as I became a reliever in my my later years it it became a little bit it tried tried their patience I'm sure a lot more but I remember my I think my second year in Camden in the Atlantic League 
Camden, New Jersey is right next to Philadelphia. It's right across the Delaware River, and it's about 90 minutes from where my parents live. And my mom and dad would drive up because it was pretty close. I mean, compared to all the other places I played in the Midwest, like Illinois and North Dakota and Indiana, um, obviously it was a it was a short trip. So they would probably come to 40 or 50 games a year. And, you know, it was always special having them in the stands there. And even though only a fraction of those times I would actually get in the game. And I know it was, it was frustrating to me when I know they were coming that maybe I, the situation wouldn't be right and I wouldn't get to pitch. And, you know, they'd have driven up and sat there for, for no reason. But even after the game, I'd, I'd often apologize and be like, hey, I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I try my best to, you know, control the game and get in there. But um, sorry, you guys had to drive up here. For that. And they always say, no, 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 we're so happy just to see you. And, you know, we talk for five minutes and they drive back home and I'd go hit the hit the, the locker room and shower. But, um, you know, even on nights like that, it was never this disappointment that they would put on me. It was never like, oh, you know, you know I wish, really wish you'd pitch when we come. And obviously they, they get it that I, I had no control over that whatsoever. But it's one of those things that your your family just has to, kind of roll with it and a lot of times you know I know my sister and her uh and her husband they came for a whole weekend and didn't see me pitch you know that he and well he and Annie they both sat in uh like 100 degree heat for two straight days I didn't pitch and then Ryan had to go back home to uh to tend to his to his brewery and uh I pitched the next day so it it always seems to work out like that you know I I drove up to uh Washington DC this um this past month to to watch one of my throwing partners Mitch pitch and of course he didn't um but it's just part of the uh, it's part of the game and it's uh it's it's obviously tough on a family when they're trying to to see you and support you but sometimes supporting you is just being out there and showing your face and even if you're not going to pitch or even if you do and you don't pitch well because there were times like that too where my brother drove across the country to Evansville Indiana to watch me start in my third season and uh I just pitched horrible. I mean, I, I made it through like one and two thirds innings and got blown out and, and that was, that was it for the night. So it was frustrating for me that that was what he got, you know, on his, uh, on his long road trip to, to see me play. So, you know, it's one of those things where your family just hopefully just is out there for you to clap and just be there. And I always appreciate having that support. And, you know, I know a lot of kids unfortunately aren't lucky to have their parents come out to games and, you know, it's, it's hopeful that every parent will come out there and, and watch because it's, it is important and it, it gives you the, the understanding that what you're doing is important as a player and that your passions are your parents' passions and that they're out there hoping that you succeed. And, you know, I appreciate that my family always kind of unconditionally, you know, you know, gave that to me because even when I'd get out there and, and pitch terrible, it was still the same positive message. Whenever I needed something, I could come to them. And whenever I was struggling, I could I could always vent to them if I had to. And that wasn't usually the case, but I always knew that it was it was available to me. So, you know, so as I, I watch young players, you know, I have some, I think, recommendations for players and parents. So players, number one, I think you need to communicate with your parents. If your sport's not your passion, then you need to find something that is. And that's, I think, the biggest thing in life is that you need to do something that you're incredibly passionate about that helps get you out of bed in the morning with excitement and optimism that, you know, you're doing what you love. And and if you're not doing that, then that's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, I I think people have an innate sense of, of 
if they're doing the right thing with their life. And there's nothing wrong with playing it safe and doing things to help set you up to be financially stable and to, to take care of your loved ones and all that stuff. That stuff's honorable and good. But at the same time, having something that you're passionate about is incredibly important just for your long-term happiness and, and, and sanity. So players, if you're playing a sport that isn't what you want, maybe it's what your dad wants for you, maybe it's what your mom wants for you, maybe it's what your grandpa wish you would do. It, it needs to be for you. And if it's not for you, you should have an open conversation with your family about it. Um, because if they really care about you, then they will understand that maybe that's not what you should be pursuing with, you know, with your energy. Cause I see it. I see kids that they come either not so much with our facility. They don't come in for lessons that their parents want them to take, but we see kids get pushed and it's clearly not for them. It's clearly for their parents. So the other thing players is if you, actually love it and you actually want to be better at it then actions speak louder than words so don't tell me that you love baseball but you're not willing to go home and practice it because if you're not then you're you don't love it so obviously I understand that as kids you know I didn't do much as a kid there wasn't like I said strength training and lessons and all this stuff available to me but I uh, I always had a passion for it and for me at that time of I think my development it was about just playing. You know, I played all the time. I was always outside throwing or hitting fly balls. My buddies, it was doing that. It was more on the baseball side and kids clearly don't do that anymore. But if you have things that are available to you that your parents are willing to, to spend money on and and take you to, then, you know, you should take them up on those opportunities and put the effort in. And then I think the rest of my recommendations are really just for parents where you need to a encourage and be positive to your kids at all times. I don't think that, you know, obviously I can't, hope to understand every parent and player dynamic but I don't think being parent coach is is usually the way to go so obviously if you're coaching your kid's team it's usually because your team needs a coach and there's a lot of great coaches who are dads who are moms and they do a fantastic job but when you leave the field that needs to turn off at some point so if you're on the ride home and you're talking about why your son or daughter did this wrong or did this wrong and he should have done this and he should have done that and we need to go out and improve this in the backyard no like he needs to want to do that stuff and and he needs to have some time in the car to be a kid and and understand that what happened on the field good or bad really didn't matter in the long run in the long run so if that's always the conversation that you know you should have done this or you should have that like that's not going to breed long-term passion for that sport and and a long-term passion to get better at it and to put the work in if it's like, hey, you know, you popped up, you're 0 for 4, like we need to get back in the batting cage in the backyard and really work hard. Well, maybe that's not what he wants to do. Maybe he wants to play video games and, and decompress for a little while. And and then when he's ready, then he'll go out in the backyard on his own or he'll ask you to take, to go to the backyard and, and throw him batting practice. But it needs to come first from the son or daughter and, and it needs to, there needs to be a separation where you're not always taking home baseball or softball or volleyball or football or whatever it is like they need to be able to get away they need to be able to escape and be themselves because when they get a chance to escape then they're going to decide on their own if they want to improve on the negative things that happen in the game or if they don't because we know when we make errors and we don't play well we feel it I mean you feel it in your soul like you feel terrible when you don't play well it's a it's an awful feeling and no one lives happily with that so over time you either decide I don't want to feel like this. I want to go out there and take some more ground balls so I don't make another error that hurts my team. And that's how you start to understand, like, this is what a work ethic is like. And, and then you start to see your results. You start to see the correlation between, oh, I made a bunch of errors, but 
I asked my, my dad to hit me ground balls all week, and he did. So I didn't make any errors this weekend, and it was great. So maybe I should do that every week. And I, you know, I'm excited about how I felt after I played well because I put the work in because I wanted to do it. So I think it's important that on the car ride home just to be supportive and just let it be. And if they want to talk about it, they'll talk about it. And if they want to ask, you know, obviously there are tons of great parents who played the game who are good coaches to their kids who have good insight. But I think it needs to come from the player. Like, hey, Dad, like, what did I do wrong on that? And that, at that point, it's fair game. You know, help him. But if it's always, hey, you know, why were you swinging at that pitch? Why, how, why would you make that pitch? Why, how could you walk that guy in that situation? That's only going to breed negativity. It's only going to bring a kid down. It's only going to end his career shorter because he's going to want to find something else that, that doesn't bring him down, that doesn't make him feel that way. And the other thing is being in, you know, in the stands, I think it's important just to be positive. And like I said, I'm extremely thankful that we have great families who support the Warbird Senators. And being supportive and clapping and cheering and, and being on your side, like you have to have someone on your side. And I think a lot of times parents get consumed with trying to remind their kids about things they're working on. Like, hey, keep, hey, stay, keep your weight back. Like, hey, keep your head in, you know, you know, be selective, stuff like that. That's I think that's part of the excitement of the game. And they yell those things because they're hopeful that their kids will remember and they're kind of in it with them. And I get that. And that's, in a sense, very positive. But sometimes it crosses the line where they're coaching their kids from the stands and it becomes disruptive where it really, I think it should be treated like a recital. So if your son or daughter was in the school play, would you yell their lines to them? Or would you yell ways to help them when they forgot their lines or if they just kind of messed something up? You know, in a play or a recital or anything like that, you never see that stuff. You don't see parents trying to implore their kids to do better. You don't see them trying to help them on the on the stage. Like, they just do their thing, and they either succeed or they fail. And I think that recital mentality should be applied to sports just the same. I think there should be cheering because sports are meant for cheering. But at the same time, it's that kid's chance to either succeed or fail on his own efforts, do his thing, kind of use his own awareness into the game to, to navigate through it. And it's okay to fail out there. It's okay for him to strike out, forget to keep his weight back in the box and strike out because then he can be reminded, oh, yeah, you know, I, I was working on that, but I don't think I did it right there. Next time, next time at bat, I'm going to keep my weight back better. I mean, kids, they, they understand more than we give them credit for. And I think cause and effect, you know, succeed or fail, I think that's one of the most powerful teachers there is. And then if they get a general reminder from their coach, like, hey, you know, we talked about that, right? You have to take a better route. You have to take your first step back on that fly ball because you did what? Like, you came in and then it was over your head. You know, stuff like that where they figure it out, like, oh, yeah. I missed that fly ball. I clearly misread it. We had talked about it. Now I feel bad that I did it wrong. And coach gave me, a, you know, a general reminder that, hey, I got to do this. And sometimes general reminders aren't the appropriate thing either. Sometimes coach needs to yell, and that's fair game too. But there's a difference between the coaching staff and the parents. And, you know, being supportive, I think, is the role of the parent and giving the kids the tools that they need and being a – a sounding board off which they can vent and, and kind of get off their frustrations. I think that's more the role of the parent just to help the kid along and, and help them get what they want out of their sport. Cause ultimately they play sports to be with their friends, to be part of a team, to be challenged. 
and to feel the rush of succeeding when they challenge. I mean, that's what sports are about. And through all those things, they build character and they, they build, you know, resolve and, and they build a work ethic and they build, you know, leadership skills and teamwork skills and all those things. So those are the things sports are really about. They're not about how many hits you get. And, you know, I don't share stories about times I succeeded very often at all. I really share stories about times I was, I was challenged and tested and, and how I responded to it. I mean, that's the, those are the things that I share most of the time with, with young athletes and, you know, ways that I solved problems that I had. So when we're getting wrapped up as, as parents and players and, and what we struggle with, we're kind of missing the point. Like the struggle is important and kids need to understand that, you know, there's going to be those in life and that's what sports is kind of a, they're a metaphor for that you're going to struggle and you got to respond to them and you have to have a good attitude and you have to find ways to, to adapt and get better. And, and that should be what we're all looking for as, you know, as, as parents. So, so I just want to say thank you to all the parents out there who drive their kids around and make sure they got Gatorades and you're, you're clapping in the stands and wearing team gear and being the uh, the number one fan because it's it goes way farther than you think and it's uh, it's it's much appreciated by all of us athletes. So happy Father's Day. We'll see you next week.